You're listening to The Year Was, a podcast designed to equip and empower students through story and shared history. Presented by Outreach America, and I'm your host, Gary Newell. The year was 1755. It was a time of the French and Indian War. Now, I got to put this picture together so that you guys can, can, can be there. I want you to be there with me, okay? I want you to understand what's going on. This is a war over ownership of land. It's a, it's a land that's there uh, along the Ohio and Mississippi rivers is where it really is. And what happened is both the British and the French uh, claim they own the land, so they were unable to settle their differences here, and Great Britain sends 2,300 hand-picked veteran British troops to America under the command of General Edward Braddock, and they've come to fight the French. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to be one of these 2,300 hand-picked veteran British troops, and I want you to get a picture of what went on and what we saw. Now, what we've got here is a war. Does everybody understand? It was called the it was called the French and Indian War. Some referred to it as the Seven Year War, but it was the British against the French. Now the Americans sided, or the colonists, they they sided with the British, obviously, to fight the French, and then the Indians, at least most of the Indians, sided with the French. So the British troops arrive in Virginia. They come from England. On February 20th, 1755, they land there. And remember, this is 20 years before the Revolutionary War, okay? And this was also the very first British army to land in America. So they land there in Virginia, and it's an army. We've never had that here before. But they were determined, along with the colonies, to drive the French out of our country. So that's the goal here. General Braddock is, a, is joined when he arrives. He's joined by 100 Virginia militia, the military from Virginia. And they were commanded by a 23-year-old colonel. That's true. It's a young colonel, 23 years old. His name, George Washington. Yeah, the same George Washington, father of our country. But now he's a colonel. He's not General Washington. He's 23 years old. So the British got together, divided their forces, and here's how it worked out. General Braddock and George Washington took 1,300 men, and they began to march north. Now, their assignment was to defeat the French at Fort Duquesne, and they were to capture Fort Duquesne. So they began this march to the north, and that's where you come in. You're now in this British military, okay, and we're marching north to... Fort Duquesne, which is now the city of Pittsburgh. So we're going to walk from Virginia to Pennsylvania. And just as the march began, okay, George Washington came down with a really high fever. It lasted for four days, and it almost killed Washington. In fact, the doctors, uh, the doctor there, ordered Washington to drop out of the march to return home. But Washington refused. And so for two weeks, he traveled on the bed of blankets. He put some blankets together. They're put in the back of a wagon. 
And so that's how he travels. He, he's too weak to get up. And as the, as the wagon is traveling with us, now we're marching and the wagon is traveling and it's behind us. It hasn't caught up with us. It's, it's, it's behind us. It's uh, what we, I guess, would call an ambulance wagon, okay? And George Washington is, is in the back. Now, you got to remember, these wagons, they did not have shocks, okay? They did not have wheels like we have. This was all wooden. And so every jolt, every bump, everything they hit on that rough ground caused pain and suffering to Washington. It was severe. And Washington, by the time he finally caught up with his men, he was very, very weak. In fact, um, physically was probably not able to even, even continue or go into battle especially. But they keep marching. Washington's with them. And now it's July 9th. Now, July 9th, 1755, was a bright, sunny Pennsylvania day. It was pretty much a typical summer day. Now, we're in our red coats, and they're long, and they're wool, and, and they're long sleeves, so we're probably, I'd say we were hot. Is that safe to say? So we're hot. You got the feeling? We're under this summer sun. We've been marching, and we're really hot, but we're proud. I mean, we're the British Army, right? We've got our bright red coats on, our shining weapons with our bayonets. Man, we're marching to cheerful music throughout the forest. We're singing songs. But then around one o'clock, one o'clock after that afternoon, and we're about Seven miles from Fort Duquesne, we just cross a ravine and see something we've never seen before. Most of us have never seen this before. We spot an Indian that's running straight towards us. Now, remember, you're from England. So this is a different sight. You haven't seen this before. We're marching. It's hot, but we're singing songs. We're seven miles away from the fort. We're not ready for battle, that's for sure. And all of a sudden, we see in front of us running directly at us an Indian. We've never seen such a sight. And he stops. Way before he gets to us, he just stops. And when he stops, he pulls off his hat that he was wearing, and he begins to wave it over his head. We've never seen, like I said, anything like this. And we had no idea that what he just did was give a signal. The British we all now have just walked right into an ambush. All of a sudden, shots start coming from both sides of the woods. Remember, we're down in a ravine. There are woods surrounding us, all right? And a storm of bullets begin to pour down on the British soldiers. It's coming from every direction. We don't even know where to turn. But we're British veterans. We know exactly what to do. You see, the problem is this, though. We're British veterans. Now, put yourself in this site. But we're veterans of European wars. Now, European warfare was all in the open. See, one army lined up at one end of an open field. The other army lined up at the other end of the open field. They looked at each other, took aim, and fired. That's the way they fought. And that's what we're trained for. There was no running. There was no hiding. But here we are in the Pennsylvania woods. And we've got French and Indians firing at us from the top of trees. They're hiding behind rocks. Uh, some of them are shooting from under logs. Man, we're under fire, and, and we had never been taught to fight like this. We don't know what to do. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the feeling 
of all of a sudden us just walking through a ravine, singing songs, not close to the camp or the fort that we're going to, and out of nowhere, rains down musket ball after musket ball. The sound of the firing going off is deafening. We're shooting in the woods at, at we don't even know what. I mean, we see puffs of smoke coming out of trees and out from under behind rocks and whatever, and we're shooting in that direction, but we don't even know what to do. So we line up shoulder to shoulder. I mean, that's how we've been trained, right? We line up shoulder to shoulder in the bottom of the ravine. It was like a supernatural attack from invisible spirits. That's the feeling. Not a musket seen. The enemy is completely hidden. And the Indians were skilled in the art of ambush and guerrilla warfare. So these bright red coats that we're wearing, well, it made us very easy to see and very clear targets. And quickly, sadly, this ravine is becoming littered with dead and the dying. And it's happening all around you. Do you see the intensity of it? Now, in the middle of this, we see one officer on a horse riding back and forth, firing at whatever he can see to fire at, but calling the men into motion. He's directing men. He's trying to organize the men. But the deadly storm of bullets just continue to rain down. It rains down for two hours. Two hours of nowhere to go, shoulder to shoulder, no, not knowing where we're going, what we're shooting at. You feel it? You see the intensity of it? And the proud British elite were slaughtered. At the end of the two hours, 714 of the 1,300 British and American troops that we took in had been shot down. Only 30 of the French and Indians had been shot. Now, when we got to the ravine and we were singing and everybody was happy, there were 86, 86 British and American officers that were involved in the battle with us. 86. But at the end of the battle, George Washington was the only officer who had not been shot down off his horse. Now, multiple horses had been shot out from under him, but he's still on horseback. In fact, he rallies the men and gets them to safety and gets them out so that they can get back to home. He's the only officer left. Every officer was killed. Now, the defeat is resounding, obviously. And so Washington gathers the troops that are still remaining and, and they retreat to Fort Cumberland in Western Maryland. Uh, they don't arrive there until July the 17th. So it's a walk, it's a march to get back to safety. And then the next day, once they were safe, George Washington sits down and writes a letter to his family, and he explained that after the battle was over, he had taken off his jacket, and when he did, he found four, that's right, four bullet holes through the jacket. He explains there were four bullet holes through the jacket, yet not a single bullet had touched him. Several horses had been shot out from under him, like I said, but he had not been harmed at all. And he wrote in his letter to his family, and I quote what he wrote, by the miraculous care of providence, and let me help you out, providence is his term for God, okay? So the miraculous care of God, because of that, he said, I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation. 
In other words, Washington is openly acknowledging that God's hand was upon him, that God had protected and kept him through the battle, that this was a miracle beyond all probability or expectation. But the story doesn't stop here. Now, the story's a miracle. There's no doubt about it. But the story gets fun. It's 15 years later. It's 1770. Now it's a time of peace. You see, the war ended in 1763, and obviously the British won. George Washington now is with a close friend, and they're traveling, and they return to those same Pennsylvania woods. An old Indian chief from from far away, heard that Washington had come back to those woods, and so he traveled just to meet Washington. He sat down with George Washington face-to-face over a council fire, and through an interpreter, I want to read you what this old chief said to George Washington. Listen to his words. I am a chief and rule over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and to the far blue mountains. I've traveled a long and weary path that I might see the young warrior of the great battle. It was on the day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forest that I first beheld this chief, pointing to Washington. I called to my young men and said, Mark yon tall and daring warrior. He is not of the Redcoat tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom, and his warriors fight as we do. Himself is alone exposed. So quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which, but for you, knew not how to miss. Twas all in vain. A power mightier far than we shielded you. Seeing you were under special guardianship of the Great Spirit, We immediately ceased to fire at you. I am old and shall soon be gathered to the great council of fire of my fathers in the land of shades. But ere I go, there is something bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. Listen, the great spirit protects that man, again, Washington, and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations and a people yet unborn, will hail him as the founder of a mighty empire. I am come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven and who can never die in battle. Well, true to the chief's predictions, God sovereignly and divinely protected George Washington. Not only did he not die in that 1755 battle, but George Washington was never even wounded in that or any of the numerous battles in which he fought. What a story. Four bullet holes in a jacket. Horses shot out from under him. And George Washington was never even harmed. You know, this story of George Washington once appeared in virtually every student textbook in America. And I know you students probably haven't read it because you see, it hasn't been seen in the last 40 years. Hey, let me close with this. George Washington, as we begin to study him, and we will, you'll see that he was an incredible, incredible man of prayer. He was an incredible man of studying God's Word. In Psalm 91, I want to leave you with some verses. I want you to take these verses and think of them and apply them to you and to your life. 
it says this in verse 9, if you make the Lord your refuge. Now, that word refuge, in the original Hebrew, this is written in Hebrew originally, that means like a shelter. In other words, make God your shelter. Don't depend on you. Don't work in your strength. Let God be your shelter. It says, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, or your dwelling place is what it says. What that means in the original Hebrew, a good word for it is a den, is a den. So let me just start with this verse and ask you a couple of things. Have you come to a place in your life, and I know you're young, but have you come to a place where you realize God is my refuge? God is my strength? And have you come to a place that you make God your place to meet in the den? Think about it. What do we do in the den? It's where the family gathers. It's where we talk. It's where we have fellowship. It's where we share things. Is that your relationship with the living God? See, that's the relationship we're going to see as we study George Washington. But let's go on verse 10. No evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. Verse 11. For he, meaning God, will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They'll hold you up in their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And then verse 14 says this, 14 through 16, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. Listen to his promises. I will protect those who trust in my name. George Washington is our model example here today. And when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Psalm 91. Perfect example, George Washington. What's sad is that story's forgotten. Now you own it. Year was 1755.